like to share with you a word that I believe the Lord's laid on my heart and ask you to uh, join me in reading the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And I invite you to stand as we receive this. Luke, chapter 18, we're going to begin with verse 9 through 14 as we continue this series on the stories that Jesus told. Luke 18, verse 9, hear the word of the Lord. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, I have, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May God add his blessing. You may be seated. Well, if you were with us last week, Pastor Rich began uh, this series of messages on stories that Jesus told, and he did it in an absolutely wonderful way. You know, Jesus was a great teacher, and partly uh, one of the things that made him a great teacher is that he was also a great storyteller. There is something about each one of us, I think, that loves to hear a story something that takes us out of our world even while it makes sense of the world we live in. Uh, the most effective stories, in fact, do have a, a moral. They, they teach us something, sometimes without us even realizing it. Jesus, in fact, if you study his stories, he often had this habit of telling a story and simply letting it stand on its own. He would not offer any explanation whatsoever. Now, sometimes the disciples would press in on him and, and he would go and develop it a little bit more, but very often Jesus relayed a story and, and let it be. But then there were these moments as the case that we're reading today that Jesus might tell a story if someone asked him a question or, as again in this story we've just read, there were instances that, that Jesus told a story because what he had to say would have been told or, or would have been too blunt for those listening maybe to handle. I came across the difference recently about the about cats and dogs. Now, you know cats and dogs. They have a, a different way of looking at things or different personalities. If, if a dog could write a journal of the story of their day, it would probably look like this. You know, 8 o'clock, dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30, car ride, my favorite thing. Park, uh, walk in the park, 9.40, my favorite thing. 10.30, got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. Lunch, my favorite thing. And then it goes on and on. That's, that's kind of the heart of a dog. Now, if, if you would uh, notice or probably read the excerpt of a cat's diary, it would probably read a little differently. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. 
Today, I was almost successful in an attempt to assassinate one of my tormentors by weaving around his feet as he was walking. I must try this again tomorrow, but at the top of the stairs. Now, when it comes to your life this morning, what are you more like? Listen, I think it's unnatural to go through life and humbly say, Lord, this comes from you. Whatever comes today, it's okay. It's my favorite thing because I know whatever comes, I can trust you and you are going to use that for my ultimate good. It's my favorite thing to be yours. But here's what's interesting. You can think you're humble and doing what God wants you to do, but the moment you think that, it can become a huge matter of pride. In our passage this morning, Luke tells us up front who is Jesus, who Jesus is speaking to. He says Jesus is speaking to those who were confident in their own righteousness. Wow, what a statement. In fact, I like the New American Standard Version, the way it translates those words. It, it says those who trusted in themselves and viewed others with contempt. In other words, these were religious people who were confident that they had had it all figured out. They got it down. They were right with God. They were saved. And as a result, they looked down on everyone else. So Jesus is in this crowd of righteous people, and he hears their conversations about people who were unrighteous. And of course, we have to understand how this puts Jesus on tilt. It, it, it still does. Because according to Jesus, the essence of righteousness is not religion. It's not legalism. It's love. Someone asked Jesus one time, what is the greatest of the laws? What is the greatest commandment? And he said it was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's true righteousness. That's, that's love, the law of love. That's who we're to be. So to look down on others because you think you have it over them, it's not just recognizing that they have flaws. We all have flaws. It is to withhold love. The opposite of love, then, is contempt. So, so Jesus is around these people, speaking to people who thought they were righteous, but it turns out they are incredibly unrighteous. And they didn't know it. And I think that becomes a warning to us, doesn't it, this morning, to, to us in this room, uh, the vast majority here, Jesus has a word for us about what it's going to look like when we follow him, and it's going to be very different than what we might think, that we better be careful, we better be ready to be challenged. And the way Jesus does that is he tells a story. He says there were two characters. First of all, there is a Pharisee. And I, and I want to just stop right there this morning because the point here is that the people that he's talking to identify with the Pharisee. 
You know, when we hear the word Pharisee today, we have a very negative connotation. We, we, we've heard these stories so often, we get a view of them, and so we understand that it's not all good. But in that day, as Jesus makes his assumption and talks about these Pharisees, Pharisees were the respectable people. They would have been admired. They were the ones who took the time to pursue religion and God and knowing more about him. They were the followers of God. They were admired because they were doing the hard work of desiring to know God better. So just because Jesus starts talking about a Pharisee, understand this doesn't mean that he's the bad guy. Jesus' listeners are thinking, he's the good guy. He's the hero. But then there's another character too and you talk about a contrast he's the tax collector now you if you've been in church for very long you 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 understand what tax collectors were in the first century tax collectors were considered to be traitors to their nation because the taxes they collected went to Rome and while they were collecting those taxes they were doing it corruptly they were often taking a lot off the top for themselves they were they were a disgrace to the people of Israel so so when people hear that they, their rancor immediately goes up that the second they think of this character they're thinking this is the scum of the earth this guy is a lost cause. And both have come to the temple to pray. So there is this interesting tension that Jesus sets up. But Jesus is about to tackle one of the hardest things that I think you and I face, our sense of superiority. You know what? I'm better looking than. I'm smarter than. I'm richer than, I, I'm, I'm more moral than, I'm a better preacher than, I'm a better father than, I, I deserve more than. And of course, when we, when we do this computation in our minds and we compare ourselves to others, it's not really a contest. I win. I do well. And the problem is, when it comes to our sense of superiority, we are dealing with a problem that is so hard for us to recognize in ourselves. We have a real easy time in recognizing it in others. But when it comes to me, I just don't see it. Because this is what the irony is of this story. Think about this with me. The majority of Christians today, when we read this story, people who hear this story about this humble tax collector and this righteous, self-righteous Pharisee, you know what they say? They say, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. The Pharisee who said, thank God I'm not like the tax collector because the Pharisee, he actually thought he had to earn his way into God's favor, but I'm a lot smarter than that. I, I, my theology is right. His theology was all messed up. It was all wrong. Thank God I'm superior to that guy who thought he was superior to everybody else. You see the problem? You see the irony? It's so easy to get there.
So the picture of this story that we have the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple, they're going to the temple at the time of the daily sacrifice. So this would have been a corporate event that there would have been large crowds there at that moment. The priest kills the sacrificial calf he goes inside the holy place and, and, and begins to offer incense. And at this point in the service is when the people, the crowds, would offer their prayers. And in that culture, they would pray out loud. And Jesus tells us about the prayer of the Pharisee. He says, now the Pharisee stood up and prayed. And again, I think the New International Version is a little bit soft here. It kind of misses the point. I really like how direct the New American Standard says. The translation that the New American Standard gives us is, he was praying to himself. He, he's praying to himself. Now, he's not praying to himself because he wants everybody to hear it, but the sense is, is that God is not listening. And why would he be praying to himself? Because he trusts in himself. He is just praying to the one he trusts. See, if you trust in what you can do, you're not too concerned about what God can do because you've figured it out. But he is interested, however, in conveying a message in his prayer. Listen to me, have you ever heard someone who is praying out loud, maybe in church, maybe in a prayer meeting of some sort, but you can tell they are really just using that prayer to convey a message to those around them? You know what I'm talking about? God forgive my husband who is listening right now as we speak. He's about to forget that anniversary. Guide him to buy a really nice gift to K Jewelers this weekend. Something like that interesting how superiority cuts us off from the flow of God's spirit. It, it cuts us off from, from who God is. See, the Pharisee really is not praying at all. He thinks he's praying, but he's really just showing off. This isn't about righteousness. This is about pride. And friends, there's nothing deadlier to a relationship with God than pride. But he's not only praying to himself, he, comparing, he is comparing himself to others. God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. And then he goes through the list, and then he notices a tax collector, by the way. <laughs> thank you, I am not like him. In fact, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, imagine listening to that and you would be impressed I mean this guy is giving you a message he wants you to know and, and the claims he's making are pretty loaded Jesus's listeners would have known that the only time they were required to fast was during the days of a, the day of atonement but but this guy he fasts twice a week he fasts a hundred times more than he needs to every every year wow that's pretty impressive. He says, I give a tenth of all I get. He's a, a tither. But what's interesting to me is, is according to the Old Testament law, 
tithing was only to be observed on, uh, tithing was to have already been observed on wine and grain and oil. The farmers who had just produced it had already tithed those things. So, in fact, it wasn't necessary when you go to tithe that you had to tithe on those things because they had already been tithed on. But he says, when I get those things, I tithe them anyway. The rabbi said, you are not required to tithe on other products, other types of produce like celery. That's an actual rabbinic teaching. I'm I'm not making that up. They said nobody has to tithe on celery. I guess they figured that nobody really liked celery and they were always getting celery in the offering plate. God doesn't like celery either. He's not interested in it. But this guy says, I tithe on everything, everything. He is doing some extra credit work. He is doing some awesome things that he measures as his spiritual maturity, his spiritual aliveness, his status in the eyes of God by all the religious activities that he is participating in. Boy, is he something else. He's measuring by all those things instead of who he is becoming. Because the person he is becoming is getting a little worse, a little prouder, a little colder, and a little more unloving every day. And folks, religion will do that. And he looks at this tax collector and says, God, I thank you I'm not like him. And it turns out he wasn't like God either. Now, here's the thing. What would have happened if he was in that sanctuary, in that temple, and he had some other thoughts and feelings, and maybe did some other things instead? What would have happened? How different would this story have been told if that Pharisee looked over at that tax collector and thought, wow, Imagine the courage of that gentleman who came in, that tax collector who comes to the temple to be around all of us religious people. Maybe he's really trying to connect with God and maybe he feels alone and lonely and ashamed. What if he had run over and thrown his arm around that tax collector and said, man, I'm glad to see you're here. We're both two guys who just need God's mercy. Tell you what, I'm going to pray for you if you'll pray for me. Because I need him too. Because listen, grace isn't all about what I've done, it's about what God has done. And when the Spirit begins to work, it's those kinds of things that happen in God's community. But, but, but it didn't because religion for him, spirituality for him, had become a way to lift himself up, and, and he doesn't even know it. You see, you can aim to love people or you can aim to impress them, but I don't think you can do both. 
I was with a pastor not too long ago and he was sitting around the table with other pastors and man, he just went on and on, droned on and on talking about himself. You know these kind of people. Name dropping the whole time about the important pastors and ministers he knew and about his ministry and how impressed he was with himself and how others were, were impressed with what he was doing. In fact, have you ever heard someone who just loves to drop names? He was so blind to it. I, I could, I, I just, how can anybody be so blind? You know, Governor DeWine invited me next week to come down to the uh, residence there in Columbus, and uh, I think I might just stop by and talk to Ryan Day and see if he's ever seen any of that in me. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy to go there. And here's the irony. Again, this is just an ironic story. If you had asked that Pharisee, how's your spiritual life going these days? What would he have said? Well, it's going great. I'm worshiping. I show up church every week. I pray. I, I give, I, I'm fasting way than I'm more, more than I need to. I tithe all my stuff. My spiritual life is great. I'm making some serious deposits in heaven. God is very pleased with me. And he was sinning the whole time. I didn't know it. He's attacking another human being. He isn't loving. He's damaging the community that God wants to create. In fact, he was making the idea of a spiritual life look obnoxious to people who hadn't discovered God yet. Dallas Willard said something that I think was true. He said, spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. And this man didn't have a clue. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. And the higher he climbed, the further away from God he became. But you know, there was another man, Jesus says. There was this tax collector, and in a strange way, Jesus makes him the hero. And, and, and I gotta tell you, that's a surprise to everyone who was listening to Jesus. He stands at a distance from the rest of the crowd. He knows he is broken. He didn't even look up to heaven. He felt unworthy to do so. Jesus says he beats his breast. He's just expressing extreme agony this true sense of remorse and he says God have mercy on me a sinner now we know what the Pharisee thinks of the tax collector but what does the tax collector think of the Pharisee well Jesus doesn't tell us we don't know and I suspect the reason is he wasn't thinking about the Pharisee He's thinking, God, my life is a mess. My heart is a wreck. The only thing I want to see is you. 
because I know the wickedness in me. God, how I long to stand with the righteous, but I am not righteous. I do not deserve this. I, I, I am not entitled. I don't come and stand in your presence because I've been a good person. And I wonder if he didn't look at the sacrifice going on before him and he smelled the incense and he asked, God, is it possible? God, could a sacrifice be made that is so great that it would atone for my sin? And it turns out there was. And Jesus knew. And the death of Jesus on the cross was a death that was that was made for every one of us, everyone. The thief who believed that last moment on the cross, it was for him. A tax collector who believed in the temple that day, it was for him. A sinner who comes to church one Sunday in September in North Olmsted, it was for him, it was for her. Not because any of them were good, but because they discovered that Jesus was good. He's very good. And so Jesus says, this man, this man went home justified, right with God. He's the one who knew God. He's the one who knew the mercy of God. He's the one who experienced the power of God's spirit One of the things I've learned, and I just share this with you. Listen, friends, we need to remember that we are saved by grace when we fail. But we need to remember it so much more when we succeed. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, one of the hazards of being in ministry is that you can become inoculated to God and his presence. I had a seminary professor at Asbury when he would begin a class at the beginning of the year in a semester, he said something to this effect. He'd say to the students, congratulations on the fact that God has called you to ministry and for accepting that call. But you do realize that you have reduced your chances of getting to heaven by 50%. And what he meant by that is, if you're not so very careful, you can grow cold to the things of God. You can go through the motions and do quite well. You know, as I've thought about this story, you know, uh, one of the hazards of preaching is you really are preaching to yourself. I've heard this message more than you have this week. Last night at about 9.30, I just came into this room to pray. Very dark, but I just wanted to be at the altar. Nobody around. 
just the altar, seeking his face and remembering in that darkness, my own darkness and the light that he is. You know, for a Christian, our diary might look like this. Confessing my sin to God, who always forgives. My favorite thing. Serving those who are different from me. My favorite thing. Being in God's presence and worship. My favorite thing. Humbly seeking him at the altar. My favorite thing. Loving my neighbor, getting to know them, engaging in the community that God has given me. My favorite thing. Laying down my pride, my success, my stuff, surrendering it all to God. My favorite thing. Getting baptized so the whole world knows where I stand with Christ. Yeah, I, 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 I know it'll be a little embarrassing. I know it's a little out of the way. I know I'm going to get wet, but it's my favorite thing to honor Jesus. Perhaps God is speaking to you this morning. And as we end this service, how will you come to God? If you need to humble yourself and just receive his grace, this altar is open. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you indeed can be our favorite thing. Your mercy is new this morning. It's here. And Lord, I just pray for the grace that we would take stock of who we are and our own sin and our own waywardness and our own pride. And we would have the courage and the understanding to lay it down before you and surrender to you. And that, Lord, watching you work in the lives of people in our church would become our favorite thing. But, Lord, I know it needs to begin in me. And I pray that you would do that. I'm yours. I want to be yours completely. And fall in love with you in a fresh way. Lord, may you be our favorite thing. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Thank you for the cross of Jesus. Amen and amen.